This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? What the hell is going on in Washington? What the hell is going on is that the world is on fire. <laughs> We've got Russia started a war in Europe. We've got Iran has started a war in the Middle East. China's threatening a war in the Pacific. And we're reliving the 1930s today. And a bunch of GOP isolationists, just like in the 1930s, are absolutely embarrassing their party and paralyzing Washington. And I'm sorry, we don't have time for this stupidity. We, we could be on the brink of World War III. I mean, if, imagine if China decided this is the moment, right? America's distracted by, especially like, let's say this thing escalates to some where like Iran starts striking, killing Americans, which they're getting pretty damn close to doing because their proxies are, are, you know, firing at U.S. bases, firing at U.S. ships and something hits. And all of a sudden we have to strike back at Iran. And all of a sudden we're in a, in a skirmish of some kind bordering on a conflict in the Middle East. And... China says, you know what? Perfect time. Let's go for Taiwan. I mean, this could happen. You know, I, I hope it doesn't, uh, that, but I mean, it's not like our deterrence posture seems to be working so well since we failed to deter a war in Europe and we failed to deter a war in the Middle East. Why can't we fail to deter a war in the Pacific? And we've got a bunch of guys who literally call themselves America first. Boy, this could be the biggest mistake in branding ever if this, if this thing blows out of control. And then holding the entire House of Representatives hostage. And okay. can't and we can't get a speaker elected and literally forget aid to Israel, forget aid to Ukraine. They have not passed a resolution condemning Hamas's attack on Israel. I mean, yeah. how absolutely pathetic is the Republican Party? So I actually think that the America First line is completely apt because, of course, that is what the group in the 1930s called themselves that were humiliated in the face of reality. I like what you call those guys, the, the Lindbergh caucus. Here's what I might call Matt Gates. Matt Gates is Charles Lindbergh without the pilot's license. And let's face it, without the brains. This is yes. These are people, I have said this, and I will keep saying this, these are people who believe that they were elected to the House of Representatives to be trolls. We were talking today to a member of Congress. To who's not a troll. Who's not a troll, who's one of the, the co-chairs of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus. And one of the things that he says, I think, is something we need to talk about because we have focused very, very clearly on these eight, and there are more, but there are eight ringleaders in this Matt Gates-led group in the GOP who don't do anything, who don't pass legislation, who don't have ideas, who don't view themselves as anything other than destructionists, as people who are there to bring the house down, who are there to stop legislation from passing, but don't have counter legislation of their own. What I think I didn't focus on as much is just how culpable the Democratic Party is here as well. And I say that not as a partisan matter. I really, look, the Republicans own 
the idiots that they have put before the electorate. And I don't want to exculpate them. I don't want to get them off the hook in any way. But I got to say, if I were in the House of Representatives, I would vote for a decent speaker, even if I was a Democrat and the Republicans held the majority. What I don't understand is why Hakeem Jeffries, who is the Democratic leader in the House, is, wants to be complicit in this, wants to see this paralysis, wants to basically watch the world burn because, hey, makes my party look good. You know, dude, no, it doesn't. Well, also, it's, it's completely not in his self-interest. So, I mean, the Democrats control the White House, they control the Senate, and all that they don't control is the House of Representatives. But there is a majority to pass some of their priorities, like like this package uh, that uh, that Biden has put forward to aid Ukraine, aid Israel, aid Taiwan, uh, do some border security. This is like there's a bipartisan majority to do that, which is supposedly president's priority. If Kevin McCarthy were speaker, we'd be passing that. If you're looking at it from a Democratic perspective, why would you not want to have a speaker who you who just proved that he's willing to like buck his party and keep the government open with, by passing a, bipart- a bipartisan because, bill because and pass your him, agenda? It's because like it, him, because for him, his ugly secret that is simply concealed behind the antics, the circus-like behavior of the GOP, his ugly secret is he's enjoying it. This makes commercials. When I, I, I have you know, sat on a bunch of TV panels recently, and one thing that- Because you're very famous. I am extraordinarily famous, as everybody knows. And in each one, we talk about this. And what the reporters all make clear is, oh, no, the Democrats are loving this. This is the commercial maker. This is going to be great for the next election. And it's like, you know something? That's not actually your job. Your job, as I have said repeatedly about the Republicans, is to represent your constituency and lead this country. This is a branch of our government, damn it. I, 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 I watch all of these idiots and I despair. Why can't we have, why can't we have nice things, America? Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, you mentioned the line about watch the world burn. That's more of, a, I, I draw that more towards the, the Gates crowd because they have no plan except to watch the world burn. It's, it, the, the line comes from uh, the movie The Dark Knight, uh, which I know you're such a fan of superhero movies, Danny. I love um, those movies. But, but uh, you know, it's there's Arthur and is talking to Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne is you know doesn't understand why the bad guys are doing what they're doing, and he says, and he says to him, some some people just want to watch the world burn, and that's literally where these eight idiots are. They just want to watch the GOP burn and tear the whole thing down. And there's so much, and you know, this would be it would be one thing if this was like 1991, 1992. Uh, the Cold War had just ended. There was peace. We were the unilateral superpower in the end of the world. There was no great power challenges to us. We were at the end of history, and we were in this unipolar moment. And we wanted to just blow everything up at Washington. Okay, fine. You know that. that no, this is we're, we're in a period of the worst crises that our country has faced on the world stage and, by the way, on our freaking border, where you've had, just just to put this in perspective, they, we have had every year of the Biden administration the largest number of encounters at the southern border. Every year successively, we break the record, which is 
and encounters for people who don't follow this stuff, it's like that's the metric because if you're encountering people that you're assuming that a lot more people are coming than the ones you're encountering, right? And they have they have calculated, they know of 1.5 million gotaways who have come into this country. Think about what that means. So right now at the border, if you turn yourself into border patrol, you're going to get to stay, right? So why would you be a gotaway? Because you're a criminal, you're a murderer, you've you're got fentanyl, or you're a terrorist. We've, we've, caught, we've caught more, I think, 300 people on the terror watch list in the last three years at the border. And, and out of the 1.5 million gotaways, how many more are there? Right. This we could all come back. <laughs> to us, we could come full circle back to 9-11 again. Um, you know, I want to share some statistics that Clara put together for us because to me they do. were, and you know, yeah, this is not my area, so I don't focus on it every day. And I was just like, I, I mean, I was shocked. My jaw dropped when I looked at the numbers. So under Biden, uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement has arrested 48% fewer convicted criminals at the border, deported 63% fewer criminals, issued 46% fewer detainer requests to other law enforcement agencies. So, you know, when bad guys come in, the FBI may turn to uh, Customs Enforcement or police may turn to them or they may turn to. So down by half. And on deportations, they recorded just, oh my geez, 39,149 convicts removed in 2021. Now, that number by itself is so unbelievable, but that is down 62% compared to the year before with 2020, when 103,762 convicts were ousted. Guys, you know, these are people who've already been convicted of a crime. The fentanyl numbers are going to knock your socks off. 634 pounds of fentanyl was taken and 12,500 pounds of methamphetamine when in February of 2022. As the, as the coverage I read wrote, this is enough to kill every man, woman, and child in this country. This is just nuts. You guys, you guys know I'm super pro immigration, but not this, not not illegal immigration, and not honestly, I I I have to say it. This is an open border. It's a hundred percent an open border. So we've got enemies at attacking on two fronts and threatening on a third front, and an open border. And oh, by the way, unprecedented forty year high inflation. <laughs> I mean, gas prices are still hovering at four dollars. People can't afford it. it, the, it Literally, if you want to buy a house, the value of your dollar has been cut in half. I mean, so people can't buy homes, can't afford food. Can't, I mean, the whole place so is falling the apart. Now like and, jackass, right and, in Congress. You know, and Matt Gates is running the country. Yep, and, exactly. and I mean, that's where we are. I mean, good Lord. Well, that's that's what's happening. My God. Let's bring, on, let's bring on our guest because he says it succinctly and he lives it every day. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick. So we don't have to. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, first time uh, with us, and you guys are going to be super impressed with him because I know we really were. He represents Pennsylvania's first district in the 118th Congress, which is this Congress, the Do Nothing Congress. Congressman Fitzpatrick sits on the Ways and Means Committee and HIPSI, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He also co-chairs the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus and the Congressional Ukraine Caucus. 
He is a former FBI special agent and federal prosecutor. Who actually was working in Ukraine and so understands Ukraine as, a, as an FBI agent. He's one of my favorite members of Congress. He's got his head on straight and he's got courage of his convictions, which is awesome because he's standing up to Gates and the eight know-nothings. Here's her interview. Congressman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Good to be with you. So glad to have you. So Russia's just started a war in Europe. Iran has started a war in the Middle East. China is threatening a war in the Pacific and the House can't elect a speaker. What the hell is going on? Yeah, well, that's a good question, Mark. I will tell you, um, Kevin McCarthy should have never been vacated. Uh, the yep. fact that, um, you know, we always knew that there would be, you know, a handful within the Republican conference that were threatening, you know, that if he did anything for the good of the country, anything in a bipartisan manner, that they would try to hold him ac uh, accountable, quote unquote. What we never expected, never anticipated was that 208 Democrats, uh, every single last one of them that voted that day, uh, all of whom voted for the bill that Speaker McCarthy put on the floor to avert a shutdown, would then turn around three days later and remove the person who put the bill on the floor that they themselves voted for to avert a shutdown. We could have never anticipated that. I, for one, never expected it. It is totally uh, outrageous and unacceptable. Um, so everything that we're going through right now, and I said this before the shutdown, Mark, I said – you know, we, we had uh, obviously a, an ongoing conflict in Ukraine. We need to get a Ukraine package passed. We're now a few weeks out, according to DOD's estimates, on when they're really going to start feeling the, the lack of, uh, of, of funding from the U.S. We now have a war uh, in Israel. We have a government that's going to run out of money on the federal side in 27 days. Uh, we have 30 dead Americans in Israel. We have, you know, dozens missing in Gaza. And we have an entire branch of government offline. So, you know, the, the, the blame falls squarely with the eight and the 208. And you can proportion that out to those numbers uh, as to why we're in the situation we're in right now. We're going to try to fix that this week. Unfortunately, uh, we have, it's been two weeks now plus without a solution. I wish our Democrat colleagues would, would come to the table and help us out a little bit. But so far, not the case. But we're going to keep working at it. So welcome to the podcast, Congressman. It's really nice to have you. And as I said before we started, enormously timely. I was on Meet the Press yesterday, and one of our guests was Kevin McCarthy. Mm -hmm. That is an angry, angry man, and, uh, and rightfully so, given what you describe. What I don't understand, though... Uh, we know we know the eight. I mean, and and you don't have to agree with my characterization, and you don't have to associate with it. But these are people who live for the chaos. These are people who got elected to be trolls in the U.S. political system. From my perspective, what I don't understand is why there aren't not two hundred, not two hundred and five, but why there aren't just a few people who you work with in the Problem Solvers Caucus who want to see Congress be serious. Why? That's a great question, Danielle, and that's a question that I would uh, urge you to pose to them, uh, just like <laughs> I do with the entire D.C. press corps. I, I asked them this very question. Are you asking, you know, the, the eight Republicans and the 208 Democrats, or if you want to narrow it down, um, some of the more moderate members of the Democrat conference, whether they're proud of this outcome, whether if Hamas had stormed Israel the day before the, the motion to vacate, would they have voted the same way? Uh, I don't think they would which I think tells the whole story. So is Speaker McCarthy upset? Of course he is. And should he be? Of course he should be. 
Danielle, he he put a two party solution on the floor to number one, save us from falling over the fiscal cliff by raising the debt ceiling. Number one, and that's where the initial threat came from extreme right of the Republican conference. And then he put a two-party bill on the floor to avert a government shutdown, which every last Democrat voted for, save one, I believe, Mike Quigley, because it did not include Ukraine funding. And they all voted for it. We, we averted a shutdown, and they punished him for putting a two-party bill on the floor. So, of course, he's upset, as he should be. Danielle, there were, there were members of the Democrat conference that told Kevin McCarthy personally, told many of us personally and my colleagues that they would never do this, that they would never side with any extreme members of the Republican conference to punish the speaker, for doing something that they themselves agreed he should do. And they went back on that. So that's a question for them. I think every member of the press ought to be asking them that question because uh, the, the blame for what we're going through right now, having an entire branch of government offline, when the world is on fire, when two wars are raging, and all the other uh, dangers that I just I just talked about, they, they got to be held accountable and they got to be part of the solution here to fix it and then undo what they did. Well, it's also shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, the president it's the president's priority to get aid to Ukraine. And there's a majority in that bipartisan majority in the House to do that. But when you kick McCarthy out and there's no speaker, then you uh, then you can't do that. So no I mean, why? it's it. in their own self-interest. Of course. Mark, there's three things that make no sense that they can't explain. If they want to support Israel, which we need to do, if they want to support Ukraine, which we need to do, and if they want to fund the government now in 26, 27 days, which we need to do, then the decision to remove Speaker McCarthy runs counter to all three of those goals, right? So yes, they need to answer this question. I don't think they anticipated what we were warning them of, which is if you do this, because Kevin McCarthy was holding that Republican conference together with duct tape and silly putty, that is not a, a, an easy group to hold together with a very slim margin you got a lot of different factions within the GOP. They knew that, and yet they, they I don't think even they anticipated that we would essentially be shutting the government down. Ironically, two days after we kept it open by bringing that very bipartisan bill to the floor, by vacating them, they shut the government down. The lights are off on the House of Representatives. We can't even go to the House floor and condemn Hamas right now. We can't even do it because of the eight and the 208 that decided to shut down one branch of government. Why can't we do that? So- Congressman McHenry is, is the speaker pro tem. And that position was created as a continuity of government measure after 9-11. If the speaker was incapacitated or unavailable, the speaker pro tem would step in. Well, when the president's incapacitated and the vice president assumes the powers of the presidency, he has the full powers of the presidency. How is it continuity of government? I mean, I guess the question is, where the hell is the continuity of government? <laughs> you know, yes. and Mark, you know, it's, it poses a lot of interesting and novel questions. Clearly, this was a precedent-setting event. We've never been in this situation ever before. And as you pointed out, this whole concept was created post-9-11 for continuity of government. It is the opinion of Patrick McHenry. It is a uh, Republican. It's the opinion of, of the Democrat chairman uh, of the Rules Committee, Mr. McGovern, and of the parliamentarian that the speaker pro tem only has the authority to call a new speaker vote. Uh, I do not know whether that is in fact an accurate or inaccurate interpretation, but all three of them seem to share that view, which would require us, uh, which I am supportive of, by the way, to have a, a House vote to clarify uh, uh, that provision that was passed shortly after 9-11, to empower Speaker, uh, Speaker Pro Tem McHenry, to at least allow us to bring you know, essential bills to the floor having to do with government funding, national security, and the like. 
in despair at the prospects for working this out. And uh, I'm, I'm going to come back toward the end and ask you whether you think there's some fail-safe solution here, but something that interests me a great deal, and I haven't gotten a great answer to it. You are the chairman or the co-chairman of the Congressional Ukraine Caucus. Thank you for doing that. Mark and I have made no secret of our perspective on this question and of the imperative of defeating Vladimir Putin. What is the origin? Where has this strange, anti-Reagan-esque idea that Ukraine is somehow just a sideshow, useless, we should never be supporting them. Where has this come from and why has it got such purchase? Not just among the, the, the lunatics or the exotics, as some of my friends call them, but, but increasingly among the mainstreams of the Republican Party. Why? Yeah, that's a very, very astute question, Danielle. Um, and it's one that everybody should be talking about. You both know, both you and Mark know as, as, as students of politics that the liberal wing of the Democrat Party and the libertarian wing of the Republican Party sort of are together when it comes to national security. Um, I would say one is always historically weak and the other historically naive. Uh, there is a libertarian bent that is creeping into the GOP um, perspective, which is very isolationist in its foreign affairs, foreign policy, which I, I believe is incredibly dangerous. Uh, I am a Reagan Republican. I believe in, in number one, his approach was a, a, a appealing to the better angels of people's nature. He was inclusive. He was aspirational. He understood of the, the, the importance of peace through strength. And he led America through one of the greatest eras uh, in the 1980s, the, the era of hands across America, the era where we we're all united against the Soviet Union. It was such a patriotic time in our nation's history. And we really need to get back to that, not just as a Republican Party, but as a country. And we don't have that right now because there is a libertarian bent creeping into the, the Republican conference. But I also will tell you this, Danielle, this is largely politics. I can tell you with every vote, every Ukraine vote that comes up on the floor, there are a lot of people that are in the camp of vote no and hope yes. Uh, nowhere is that more prevalent than in Ukraine. So if we had, say, 100 members out of uh, you know 222 in the Republican conference that voted against the Ukraine funding measure, I would reckon 85 of those 100 didn't even agree with their own vote. But they feel political pressure because of certain aspects of conservative media that have had a, a disparate influential impact amongst their constituents back home that they are fearful of that vote. Now, some of them are trying to nuance it, saying we want transparency. Well, of course we all want transparency. Of course we do. Uh, in fact, me and Mike Quigley, two of the co-chairs of the Ukraine caucus, um, introduced uh, just that. It's called the, uh, the Pact with Ukraine Act. It has a partnership and cooperative transparency concept. It established institutions, reporting requirements. We all want transparency. We all want that. But we also want Ukraine a freedom-loving democracy, a democratically elected government to not be victims of genocide anymore and to be able to stand up to and defeat, you know, an evil genocidal regime of Vladimir Putin because it's it matters not just for Ukraine, it matters for Taiwan, it matters for freedom-loving nations across the world. This is not just about Ukraine. It's about freedom. That's what it's about. So I can't tell you how distressing that is to hear that members are are voting no 
and and thinking, yes, you know, there's no question. The House of Representatives, the Congress, overall, these are people elected to represent. That's what the <clears throat> word means, for yep. sure. But on foreign policy, there has always been a requirement for leadership. Mark and I both worked for the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and I remember going to him on multiple occasions and saying, hey, important constituents don't want you to do this. Important constituents don't believe in this. And I still have a memo where he wrote back to me, and he wrote in his characteristically blue pen he wrote sometimes you just have to say no what's happened to that character what's happened to that leadership what's happened to standing up to to fringe radio and cable weirdos i don't get it <clears throat> yeah well uh you and me both danielle and i agree with you um politics and campaigning have changed so much you know gone are the days when we grew up where you had an hour or two of walter cronkite um every night and then you went about your business. Uh, now people have news, quote unquote news, which is cable news, which oftentimes is more editorializing than it is news on their television 24 hours a day. And they turn on the channel that validates their pre-existing beliefs rather than cross-examining their existing paradigms. That's problem number one. Uh, social media is another aspect of it. Um, if you had this odd conspiratorial view back in the 1980s, you were sort of on an island on your own now you can find an entire community of people that share those beliefs, which then provide an incentive to act out. Um, and also, Danielle, I would say the fact that only seven out of 50 states in America have open primaries or some version thereof is a huge problem because you combine factors one and two that I just mentioned with saber-rattling politicians that are on the rise these days, and you couple that with closed primaries, which 43 out of 50 states have – that leads to a lot of these members voting no and hoping yes or vice versa. Um, I can tell you this was the case with the government shutdown. I can't tell you, Danielle, how many members came up to me on the floor and said, Fitz, we need your problem solvers to bail us out here. You, we, you know, we need you to sign the discharge petition. These are Republican members of Congress right, um, who wanted us to do what they probably would have criticized us in public for doing, but it would have provided them with an escape uh, hatch to, to not have the problem fall in their lap politically. Uh, that's happening a lot. And it's happening because of certain personalities, uh, both on the left and the right, um, that have a disparate impact over constituents. Um, it's a problem. And I think we need structural reform. I think we need open primaries. I think we need term limits. All these things would make these bad factors that are leading to bad results go away. So in July... Matt Gates got just 70 votes for his amendment to cut off aid to Ukraine. Two-thirds of the Republican caucus voted against him. And then a few months later, 117 Republicans voted against aid to Ukraine. That's a 47-vote swing, more yep. than half of the Republican caucus. One, what happened in that short period of time? Is that really where the caucus is in terms of if we had an up or down vote on Ukraine aid in normal circumstances, that's where they would be? Or what, was that some weird dynamic going on with the government shutdown at the time? And, you know, if these guys really want the aid to happen, but they just don't want to be responsible for voting for it, I mean, what, what's going to happen with Ukraine aid in this context? Where we were always going to be headed with Speaker McCarthy, he saved us from the debt ceiling. He, he, he pursued a bipartisan path with President Biden. He saved us from a government shutdown, pursued a bipartisan path uh, somewhat with uh, the Senate. We were always going to have then a – because Ukraine funding was not in the, in, the, in the CR. Disaster relief was. Ukraine was not. 
we were going to marry together, and Lindsey Graham talked about this. He and I were on uh, Face the Nation the same day, yeah. uh, one segment apart, and he talked about a border a border funding bill with a Ukraine funding bill. Bring them together. Everybody wants both. The Democrats want border funding. They're afraid to say it. Republicans want Ukraine funding. They're afraid to say it. And by the way, I am telling you from an eyewitness testimony on the floor. They're all telling awesome. you this. Democrats, particularly from New York, are like, can you save us from this? Get a, get a border a bill passed. We want it to pass. We just can't say it. Same with the Republicans on Ukraine. As Danielle pointed out, this is utterly ridiculous that so this goes on, but this is the reality of what we're dealing with. That was always the plan. So how do we get it done now? I think this is exactly how we do it. We, we, we marry it with border funding for our own southern border, and we get it done. And also, Mark, Democrat and Republican colleagues – so I walked over to the Senate that Saturday night after we passed that government funding bill in the House and was talking to a lot of our colleagues in the Senate, Democrat and Republican, who all said the same thing, that they don't like having to take these Ukraine votes every couple of weeks or every couple of months. They mm-hmm. said, we got to do one massive bill – with transparency, with border funding, that gets us through the election. So to your earlier question, why did the number go from 70 to 100 plus? It's because people are having increasingly more difficulty explaining their vote back home. If they just had to do one vote, maybe if it was buried into something else, it would be easier politically for them. But they don't like having to take a Ukraine vote every couple months. It's very challenging for them. That's absolutely right. And we've criticized the living daylights out of the Biden administration because this is a reflection of their own hesitation in supporting Ukraine in the long term. This is why they've had a day late dollar short policy. But one of the things that was super interesting to me, Congressman, was that in the supplemental that they sent up with money for for Israel, with money for Ukraine, with money for the Palestinians, there is more money for the border than there is for humanitarian aid for the Palestinians. Okay. Um, and yes, that's not enough, but it was more than $10 billion. And it was a recognition, at least, that these issues need to be tied together. That sounds to me like an opening, a possibility that, that one could move forward. Is what's going to happen? Is the Senate just going to move that and let it drop like a poop into the punch bowl of the House? Yeah, well, that that remains <laughs> to be seen, Danielle. All I know is that we got to get this done. Um, you know, we have to get a speaker elected. We have to fund our government in 27 days. We have to support Ukraine. We have to support Israel. We have to support Taiwan. We have to do all these things. There is overwhelming bipartisan consensus in the House and the Senate to do everything that I just mentioned. It's the politics that's getting in the way of it. So any way that I can be helpful, and I've told my colleagues this, they can pin the blame on me and, and my moderate colleagues as much as they want. We're, we're used to it. We'll, we'll deal with that again. But um, you know, I will tell you, Danielle, my last – I was an FBI agent before I was in Congress. My last assignment was in Ukraine. I spent so much time working Russian counterintelligence in the bureau trying to stave off what happened in February uh, several years ago. It was absolutely heartbreaking, gut punch for me to see that actually – happen. Mitch McConnell was on Face the Nation this past weekend, and I agree with what he said. He said, no Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. We're rebuilding our industrial base. Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals. Um, And he said, I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Um, Ukraine is doing the work for the world right now. And I don't know what the controversy is in supporting them, not to mention the fact that they're, you know, they're, they're fighting for their own territorial integrity, which... America has to stand for. If we don't lead in that regard, 
It's it's just like the bully in the schoolyard that we all grew up with. It, it, appeasement gets you more bullying. Standing up to the bully makes an end. You talked about the defense spending for a second here. I mean, one of the things that we found, we're doing some research on this at AEI, is that 90% of the military aid isn't going to Ukraine. It's going to Americans. 100%. It's, it's going to, you know, build, re, either to build weapons for Ukraine or to replenish the stockpiles of the weapons that we've given them from our, you know, excess capacity. 100%. And, so, and many of them are loans to NATO too, right? Yeah. And so I'm going through the list right now and I'm looking at, you know, the JDAM ER, which is a new weapon that's being built for, that was just for Ukraine. It's being built in St. Charles, Missouri, which is the home of Josh Hawley. The Abrams tanks that are going to Poland and to Ukraine being built in, in Lima, Ohio, which is Jim Jordan's district and JD Vance's state. Uh, you can go Alabama, you know, Tommy Tuberville and Katie Britt voted against Ukraine aid. That's one of the states that's getting the most uh, Ukraine aid sent to it. Where's the disconnect where these members? I thought members liked pork. <laughs> when did we suddenly become against bringing home the bacon for manufacturing workers in our states? Yeah, it's far right talk radio. It's far right, you know, television hosts that are scaring the living bejesus out of constituents, you know, with some conspiratorial things that, you know, somehow this money's getting siphoned off elsewhere. And by the way, none of us want that. None of us want that. Anybody needs to say, any member of, uh, of Congress that wants to support Ukraine but wants transparency, we are 100% on board with that. We have a bipartisan bill. It's called the Pact with Ukraine Act. It provides massive, robust transparency to make sure. Of course, we want every dime to be going to its intended target. But to, to, to say we should just abandon Ukraine on the battlefield and let, the, let them get slaughtered and have Russia take over Ukraine, and they're not going to stop there. They've said it themselves. And, and not to mention what the impacts are on Israel, on South Korea, uh, on Greece, on Taiwan, all the other countries that are in the crosshairs of some other either dictator or aspiring dictator. Mark, I'm going to continue to do my job in the conference. The, 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 the thing that we should all be rest assured with is the people on the committees of jurisdiction on the Republican side, Mike McCall on foreign affairs, Mike Turner on intelligence, Mike Rogers on armed services, all support Ukraine. And that's a good thing. Um, it's these, you know, other rank and file members that are raising, raising a lot of hell over this that we just got to talk to and work something out with and get it done. I think if we put a, a Ukraine funding bill that gets us through the election, tied to border security, get this done with, and that way we can move on. What about the next speaker? Are you guys going to hold firm that, that you're not going to, you know, we, we just had the the eight knuckleheads who decided with the Democrats to bring down Kevin McCarthy. Are the pro-defense, pro-Ukraine uh, Republicans going to allow a speaker to be elected who's going to not pass that funding bill? Well, I can tell you it's a red line for me. That's for sure. And the other the other beauty, Mark, of having a four, soon to be a three, three vote margin uh, in the House is that we're all Joe Manchin, Right. A very small group of us can sign a discharge petition on any given day to um, get any certain legislative initiative a floor vote, and it will pass. So we have a lot of tools at our disposal. So when I was over in the Baltics just before uh, Speaker McCarthy was vacated, uh, I went to Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania. I went to Finland and Sweden, You know our newest uh, uh, NATO entry, uh, Finland and hopefully soon Sweden and the Baltic states. I said to every single one of them, that this is a red line for me in a lot of different ways because I know what's at stake. Uh, I will use the power of my position and my voice in Congress to make sure that we do not allow allow Ukraine to get slaughtered on the battlefield, that we give them what they need. And by the way, I also need to criticize the administration. I'm glad that they are 
providing support as opposed to some people that want to cut support off altogether. But Mark, I'm not, I'm not sure what their strategy is here. If oh, it's no just to keep Ukraine in the fight or is it to give them enough to, to actually win? There were a number of us that went to uh, Poland two weeks after the invasion. Uh, I was with Greg Meeks and Mike McCall, the chairman and ranking member of, of foreign affairs. We were there with Secretary Blinken. And back then we were begging the administration to give MiG-29s, TB-2 drones, S-300 surface terror missiles, all Soviet technology. And they were saying no. And fast forward now, they have attackums, they have patriots. I mean, all the things that were completely off limits on day one are now being given. And could you imagine, Mark and Danielle, if we would have given them all this equipment on day one, how much better of a position they would have been in? But just the medium range attackums. Of course. Just, we we haven't given them the long range ones. We're yeah. only giving them the 100 mile version. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even now, you know, they still are just slow rolling, you know, good Lord. Take the, take the gloves off and beat this guy. So when I look at the, the position of uh, the far right versus the administration, I say one's bad and the other's worse. Yep. None of them are good on this. That's for issue. damn sure, unfortunately. It's a race to the bottom that we're enjoying right now. So uh, exit question for me, and it's the, it's the hard one. A two-parter, let's make it this. Are there Republicans who are talking to Hakeem Jeffries, who are talking to the Democrats, about leadership and how to solve this problem? Are there Republicans who are talking to the White House about leaning on the Democrats to help? That's part one. Part two, honestly speaking, you're sitting up there. I know this is a really tough one, but how's this going to how's this going to work out? So the answer to your first question is yes, and I'm one of them. Um, so that's the answer to Thank that question. Thank you for being a grown-up. Um, and I've, I've spoken to, to Leader Jeffries and, and several members of, of the Democrat Conference, and I'm the chair of the Problem Solvers, so I speak to my colleagues there all the time, uh, albeit we're very, very disappointed that they they did not vote present on the on the motion to table, um, something that I can tell you, and I said in advance on national television, that if Hakeem Jeffries were ever speaker and he put a two-party solution on the floor that I voted for, I would never side with a member of the squad who attempted to vacate him for doing so. I would never do that. So I expect the same out of my Democrat colleagues. Where does this end? We're going to continue to push to empower Speaker McHenry um, to at least be able to function um, in a manner that we think he has the authority to do already. He and others have, have claimed they don't, and he's not willing to go further than what he thinks he has the authority to do. Uh, but to empower him to basically act as, as acting speaker for the remainder of the year or even the remainder of the cycle, I would be fine with that. Uh, Patrick McHenry is a solid member of Congress. He's smart. He's a great negotiator. Uh, I'd be honored to, to have him as speaker. Um, but we need help here, uh, Danielle. We need some Democrat colleagues, some moderate Democrats or beyond that to help us here because in a, in a, in a four, three-vote margin, depending on attendance in any given day, you know, we have an outcome determinative number of fringe elements uh, of the chamber that are going to just stall and burn the place down. So, um, you know, we need people to come to the center and, you know, as much as much it might be politically tempting for the Democrats to just watch the House flail right now, that's not good for the country. It's not. And I can tell you 100 percent, Danielle, that if the shoe were on the other foot, I would be the first one reaching out to them, not waiting for them to come to me. But reaching out to them and saying, how can I help? This is hurting our country. It's a very dangerous situation. So as a question from me, um, how how much is the disaster on the border 
not just hurting the country, because it's obviously hurting the country, you know, 1.5 million gotaways, people on the terror watch list getting caught coming in. I mean, it's a, it's a national security and other disaster. But how much is it undermining Ukraine? The talking point you keep hearing from the anti-Ukraine Republicans is Biden cares more about Ukraine's border than ours. Yeah. And they're not wrong right. about it. And, right. and, and the problem is, is it great to put together a package of border security funding? But it's not a funding problem. And it's not even a legislative authority problem because Biden has all the same laws on the books yep. that Trump did. Yep. And by the way, that Obama did when he was yep. the deporter in chief mm-hmm. and they secured the border. Yep. So it's a question of presidential will to just right. use the law and authorities he has on the books now. If he can't do that, I mean, yeah. over time, are we just going to lose? Is, is Zelensky going to pay the price for Biden's unwillingness to do his job and secure the border? As always, Mark, well said by you. You've, you've nailed Thank it. You. Um, Thank you. And uh, there's hypocrisy across the board. And that, that that's unfortunately uh, what we're seeing on a regular basis now. Um, I don't know why he doesn't secure the border, Mark. He has all the authorities, as you pointed out. Uh, he has people like us that are willing to give him any authorities he claims he doesn't have. If he needs a Title 42 without the public health emergency, we have a large bipartisan block that would be more than than willing to give that to him. There's only one possible explanation. He can't see it and think it's smart, right? There's only one plausible explanation. He's he's fearful of the progressive wing of his party who are completely unreasonable on this and several other issues, just like the far right is entirely unreasonable on a whole host of, of issues in their own regard. So, you know, I, I don't know the answer to it, Mark. All I can tell you is I have a lot – just like I had Republican colleagues tell me. Get, get Ukraine funding done, take it off my plate. Get the government funding done, take it off my plate. I have a lot of Democrat colleagues saying get the border secure. We, we want it. We, we can't be out, out there being outspoken about it because of all the, all the, all the dynamics that they have to deal with uh, within their own party um, and their own base. But that's what we're hearing. We, we hear all these whispers on the House floor from both sides on the Ukraine and the border issue. Just uh, amazing. Such, such profiles and courage on both sides. Yeah, no Absolutely. kidding. No kidding. Thank you. Thank you for being courageous. Thank you for showing leadership. And thank you for caring about all these important things. And thank you for joining us. This was amazing. Well, I want to thank both of you, Danielle Mark, for your intellectual consistency, your intellectual honesty. It's a uh, currency that's in rare form these days, unfortunately. And it's the only thing that's really going to save our country. Believe me. We, we are, and I know you both know this, we are so blessed to live in, in the greatest country that's ever been formed. And it's a country that's done more good for more people and more nations than any other nation ever has and any other nation ever will. We're 247 years into this experiment. The only thing that will save us is we got to fight back against this hyperpartisan saber rattling where Americans are, are focused more on anger towards our fellow citizens because a box they checked on, a, on their voter registration form when they're 18 rather than focusing on the common enemy that we did in the 80s. When I grew up, right, the Soviet Union was something we all rallied around as a country to fight against. Now we're spending more time fighting each other. And I just want to thank you for the voice that you're, you're lending to our country, uh, one of common sense, and, and you're not partisan. You're not ideological. You're just purely driven by facts and evidence and the law. And I want to thank, thank you for you. that. Well, thank you. That's made my day. I appreciate it. And thank you for being part of this show. We, we really and for your leadership on the Hill. It's, it's so needed. You bet. Thank you. So, Mark, what do you think? 
So here's what I take away from the, I take away a lot from that interview, because first of all, thank God we have some people like Brian Fitzpatrick still in Congress, because that gives me a little bit of hope that there's some sanity and people who are willing to stand up and like actually not just turtle, but, but in the face of this idiocy, but actually push back. But what I was shocked about was how many people are turtling. You know, the fact that he says, you know, when there's a vote on Ukraine, like the vast majority of the people who are voting against the Ukraine aid really want it to pass. They just don't have the courage of their convictions to stand up for what they're saying. And they tell him privately, I hope it passes. That's and then the gross. number of Democrats who are saying, we got to get this border under control, but I can't vote for it. So I think Republicans, you know, pass some border security like that. It's like, I'm sorry, what the hell were you elected to Congress to do? You weren't elected to Congress to be popular. I mean, it, there, there used to be a time when people were willing to stand up for their principles even and lose their seats if it was important enough, you know, to, to do something. And on neither of these things are you should you be losing your seat. You know, it's not like there is a groundswell of anti-Ukraine sentiment in the Republican Party. It's, you know, the, the most if you look at the polls, we had uh, Roger Zakheim on earlier this year with the Reagan Institute poll. And about half of Republicans want to continue aid, but but a supermajority think that you that Russia's the bad guy and Ukraine's the good guy and want to help. It's just nobody's explaining to them why we need to help. So it's like when Biden pulled out of Afghanistan, were there marches in the streets from people demanding that we withdraw from Afghanistan and this war? You know, that nobody was. Nobody wanted to pull out of Afghanistan. They sort of did. If you ask a poll, you know, saying, yeah, we should probably get be done with this whole thing. I wish it was over. You know, I also wish that, you know, I, you know, I won the lottery. You know, there's no there's no groundswell against any of this. And they're self-deterring because they're idiots. Yeah. No, look, I mean, we have such a vacuum of leadership. We are so bankrupt. And this on really on both sides of the aisle, bankrupt in courage. You know, we have such a courage deficit here in this country among our would-be leaders. It's so terribly disappointing. And I will tell you what underscores that. It is when you talk to someone who's good, who's smart. And you know something, there are times when there are times when it's not right to be bipartisan. You know, it, there's, there are times when, for example, you shouldn't, you shouldn't support what the president wants to do because what the president wants to do, as in, you know, you're a perfect example, right? Uh, uh, withdraw from Ukraine. Uh, give more money to the U.N. There are things where the Republican Party ought to stand firm and tall, right? We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be kowtowing to the Iranians or the Chinese. You know, we should be doing much more. So absolutely stand tall. But these guys aren't standing tall for anything. These guys aren't standing tall to, as you rightly said in our introduction, they're not, they're not for anything. They're just against. And, you know, it reminds me a little, and we, we, we actually have a completely different conversation that we will be releasing um, next week about anti-Semitism. But it really reminds me, because, of course, our guest says anti-Semitism is one of the pure antis. You're just against these people, right? This is these eight guys and their fellow travelers, right, on the Hill who vote with them but aren't as loud as them. They're just against. They don't stand for anything in America except except destruction. Yeah. I want to leave on an encouraging note. And what yeah. I've despaired at is watching the Matt Gates and his his band of know nothings who have been they're effectively legislative terrorists. They they've terrorized the entire Republican caucus. They're in power for one reason, because their faction is so stupid 
They nominated so many people who couldn't win elections that they left winnable races on the floor in the 2022 midterms. And as a result, we only have a four-person majority, which ironically has empowered them because if we had a 20-seat majority, no one would give a crap what Matt Gates thinks. He'd be as marginalized as, as, as you could possibly hey, where's be. Where's so the good news here? <laughs> so here's, here's the good news. And so, they, and so they've decided to embrace this moment of slim majority and run, run the caucus. And they were successful in kicking out McCarthy. And I kept wondering, you know, when is, when is our side going to bring a gun to a gunfight instead of a knife to a knife a gunfight, right? And lo and behold, the Brian Fitzpatricks of the world are showing equal courage and saying, okay, if you, you maybe you can bring down the speaker, but we're not going to let you choose the next speaker. <laughs> we're not going to let you, uh, you know, put, nominate somebody who's going to cut off Ukraine and is going to cut off Israel and is going to cut off Taiwan and all the rest of it. We're going to actually say no. We're not going to elect those people. So, you know, Brian said, I am not going to vote for a speaker who will not pass aid to Ukraine, which is the will of the majority of the House, including most Republicans. And you know what? Good for him. And if, he, and if he's got eight people who are willing to do that, then guess what? It's not going to happen. And so I'm glad that somebody and a group of people have been standing up to the gates of the world and saying, no, you're actually not the, the frigging uh, shadow speaker. You're not going to be running this house from the, these fever swamps where you live. Uh, we're actually going to assert ourselves and, and, and fight back. And God, God bless him and God bless the, uh, the members who are willing to stand up to the terrorists. What does is, what is Oprah say? You go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you go, guys. Stand up, be courageous, and everybody, thank you for listening. We we have been talking a lot about foreign policy, but we do have crises closer to home as well. And so I'm just delighted that that Congressman Fitzpatrick was, was willing to be part of this. Let us know what you think, and take care. Take care. See you next week. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell@ai.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.